When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. I missed a whole page. I did. I'm so sorry. I missed the first half. You want me to start again? Just keep going. Sorry, guys. Um, Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. This is the word of the Lord. So I have a question for us this morning to think about, and that is, what is it that makes a hero? I feel like this is an appropriate question for us to think about today, given that since it's 4th of July, it's a a day that we remember and we celebrate our, our national heroes that stand out from our history. Men like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin, as well as other important figures like Crispus Attucks. Betsy Ross, and Abigail Adams. But we have many other heroes as well. I mean, heroes saturate our culture and society, even beginning uh, with, with, our, with our little ones. Uh, my three-year-old Sammy loves the, the, the Umizumi show, Team Umizumi, which is a team of tiny little heroes that save the day with their mighty math powers. Uh, but we also have bigger heroes in all of our movies and our comic books. And we, have, uh, we speak is of people being heroes who serve in our armed forces. Or who uh, we speak of doctors and teachers, police officers, firefighters as heroes. We might even speak more personally about our mom and dad or our grandparents being our heroes. We talk about heroes all the time, and our our society has so many heroes, but what is it that sets these people apart? What is it that defines someone as a hero? Well, one common characteristic that all these people have that we respect and we speak of as heroes is that they are people who sacrifice themselves, who sacrifice their own needs and their own comforts for the sake of others. One great example of this is, of course, the, you know, the, the, the Avengers movies. Uh, and two great, the, the two main characters, the main heroes in those movies are Captain America and Iron Man. And I think this is a really genius thing that Marvel did in these movies, is setting up these two contrasting characters. Because they're both heroes, but they're so different. 
Captain America, whose real name is Steve Rogers, even before he was a hero, he was a small, weak, sickly little man, but he was brave. He was willing to stand up to bullies. He was willing to put himself in danger and at risk for the sake of others. And throughout all the entire movies, he is consistently willing to make that decision. He is consistently faithful in choosing to sacrifice himself for the good of others. On the other hand, you have Iron Man, who his real name is Tony Stark, and he is the complete opposite. He is a wealthy, spoiled brat. He is hedonistic. He is self-absorbed and selfish. And yet, throughout, through the process, through the story, we see that he also has brought a point where he is willing to put his life on the line for others. And it's interesting, the similarity to those two characters that we see in this story with Joseph and Judah. Similarly, we see Joseph is the consistent hero. He is faithful. He makes the right choices. He is a good and honest man. And he's willing to consider him to be the sacrifice for the good of a nation, for the good of his family. But you have, in contrast to that, Judah, who begins the story as a villain, begins the story as someone who's selfish, who is willing to even sell his own brother for 20 silver coins. And yet we've seen how God, throughout this story, is changing him, is transforming him, is bringing him into a point we'll see today that he also is willing to sacrifice himself for another So this story then, what we're going to see this morning, is how God uses Joseph's test to show Judah's transformation from a villain into a hero. So those are just going to be very briefly the the, the two points that we're going to see today. First, we're going to see Joseph's test, and then we will see Judah's heroism. Joseph's test and Judah's heroism. First of all, then, let's look at Joseph's test. So uh, the test is basically that uh, he has his servant put this silver cup into the sack uh, that that Benjamin was going to be taking back with him to Canaan. So he puts the money back in the sacks again, and then he puts the cup in here, and then he sends the steward after them to chase them and say, why have you stolen this? The person with whom the cup is found is going to be my prisoner here in Egypt. So, of course, as you, as you might know, the, the cup is found in Benjamin's sack, and all the brothers go back together to plead for their brother Benjamin. So that is the test. And, and just, if we have a moment of honesty, who here likes taking tests? I mean, there, I, mean I may have met, like, a couple of people who enjoy taking tests, like maybe some kind of tests, but they're very few and far between. Most of us do not like tests of any kind whatsoever, whether it's tests in school or, or medical tests that evaluate our health or if it's some form of work assessment. We don't like tests. They're not fun, not enjoyable. So why do we have to do them? Well, for a very simple reason, that is that tests uncover the truth. Tests reveal the real nature of things. So if that's in school, tests reveal how much you've actually learned. How much have you actually absorbed of the material that you're supposed to learn? A test will reveal that. 
Or in the case, uh, if it's a medical exam or a medical test, a test to reveal what the actual problem is. What is it that's actually going on in your body physically? Or if it's uh, some kind of work assessment, then that test reveals what you are truly capable of, how well you are actually performing at your job. Tests reveal the true nature of things. So they are necessary. They are important. And who does those tests? Well, if it's in school, the teacher gives us a test, although teachers don't really actually enjoy tests either because, after all, someone has to grade those, right? Uh, but if it's, a, it's, it's a medical exam, a medical test, the doctor orders that test for us. Or if it's uh, in work, then our boss or someone higher up the corporate ladder orders this assessment uh, for the company. But what about in the Bible? Who is it that performs tests in the Bible, in the stories that we see there? Well, God does, of course. Earlier in Genesis, in chapter 22, uh, God famously tested Abraham by ordering him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, to test his obedience to God if he would trust him and be faithful to him no matter what God told him. God later tested the Israelites in the wilderness after their exodus from Egypt. For 40 years, as they wandered in the wilderness, God tested them to see if they would obey him and trust him and follow him. We see that God even tested his own son, Jesus. Jesus was tested as he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights before he began his ministry. And he was tested yet again in the garden as he faced the prospect of his death, bearing our sins. Praying, Lord, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will be done, but thine. And he passed the test. So tests are throughout the Bible, and it is God who does them. And so God is using Joseph here in this story to test his brothers. He's forcing them into a situation that's going to reveal their true nature. What is really going on in their hearts? Have they truly changed? That question will be revealed. And it's important to note that Joseph is not testing his brothers out of spite or anger. We saw last week that when the brothers returned and they brought Benjamin with them, Joseph was so moved so filled with compassion toward his brothers, especially Benjamin, that he had to leave and go to another room so he could weep. Joseph loves his brothers. He is moved to compassion for them. And this testing of them is not out of anger or spite, but out of love and concern for them. But he wants to know what has really happened to them. Have they actually changed? Or are they still the same men who sold him into slavery all those years before? Good question to think about as an application of that is, how is God testing you? How might he be testing you? Remember that being tested is not a bad thing. It is necessary. It's important. It's hard and uncomfortable. It can even be painful to be tested. But it is not evil. God's testing is a part of his good plan and purpose for your life to reveal what is actually the condition of your heart. 
What is the true condition of your life, of your soul, and of your posture toward him? God's testing reveals that, and it is a part of his loving, kind, and gracious will for you to test you. So do not try to escape his tests. Do not try to avoid them. If you are a Christian and you are serious about following Christ, you will be tested. You may be being tested now. But it's not evil. And don't for a second believe that it's because God is mad at you. Or because he's trying to get you for something. He loves you. And part of his love for you is that he tests you. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. One uh, time in our life when I feel like we were being tested was, you know, before we lived here in San Antonio, my wife and I, we were uh, missionaries. Uh, We went to southern Mexico, to Oaxaca, Mexico. For a while, but before we could do that, we had to go through a period of, of training uh, and then support raising and just building relationship with our, our sending church. And this took years. And it got frustrating. <laughs> we were tired of waiting. We felt like, okay, God, you've called us to be missionaries. Why can't we just get to the field? Why can't we just go? But God was testing us. He was teaching us. He was showing us that we could trust him to take care of us and provide for us, that he would meet all our needs. And he was also showing us that he was just as concerned about what was going on in our hearts and our growth as he was about us taking the gospel to the lost in Mexico. He wasn't interested in just rushing us out into the field as we were. We, must, we first had to be tested. We first had to grow. We first had to be prepared to go there and so that he could use us more effectively. So testing is important. Your testing may be very different from that. Your testing may involve school or it may involve work or your vocation. It may involve your marriage. It may be revolving around your children, your parents, friends, or family members. But whatever whatever way God is testing you, he will be faithful to you through it. He's teaching you. He loves you. And he is revealing the truth to you. So that's the test. But secondly, then, let's move on to look at Judah's heroism. Real quick, I want to go back to the Avengers. (laughs) Because it's interesting how the first Avengers movie, we see Iron Man is brought to that point where he's willing to risk his life and lay it on the line in order to save the city from destruction. And yet he narrowly escapes. He gets away with his life. But it's very interesting that after that point, throughout the rest of his story in the movies, he is trying to find a workaround. He is looking for any way possible to make sure that won't be necessary anymore. 
He doesn't want to have to put his life on the line or to risk the lives of his friends of the other Avengers. He's trying to find another way of escape. And yet, in the end, in the last movie, when the fate of the universe is on the line in the final test, he is, once again, willing to make that sacrifice. It's interesting how they bring him back again to that point. And so, similarly, in this moment, Judah fully embraces his inner heroism. He fully embraces the way of the cross. He fully embraces this path of suffering by sacrificing himself for Benjamin as well as for his father. This speech of Judah's, we didn't read the whole thing in its entirety because a large portion of it, 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 it repeats what we've already seen in, in chapters 42 and 43 of their first trip to Egypt and then of their, their interaction with their father before the second trip. But this is the longest speech in Genesis. And it is one of the most refined, sophisticated speeches in the Old Testament. The, the, the emotion, the artistry, the power behind it moves us. It is compelling. And it is actually this very moment, this decision of Judah's, that is the central pivot point for this entire story. Everything that we've been moving up to this point from, from the very moment we met Joseph and we heard about his dreams, and then going up until the end of Genesis, this is the hinge. This is the moment where the story shifts and changes direction. Tension has been building and accumulating up to this point to see what will happen. So the situation that Joseph created in testing his brothers is remarkably, it's strikingly similar to the situation that Joseph found himself in at the very beginning of the story. Except now, Benjamin is the favorite son. Benjamin is the one who's sent out with his brothers. Benjamin is the one now who would be left in Egypt. And the other brothers would be able to return once again to their father, free men. It's very possible that they could have left him. Remember, in last chapter, Jacob came, you know, he made that decision. He came to that point where he said, if I'm bereaved, then I am bereaved. But we can't let our whole family starve, and so take him and go. So these brothers could have just returned and said, well, there was nothing we could do. It's the exact same situation. But are they the same men, or have they changed? This is Joseph's intent in testing them. He wants to know that if they were put back in the exact same place, under the exact same kind of situation, would they do the same thing? And we see that Judah, because he's been transformed by God's grace, he does the exact opposite of what he did before. We see that rather than resenting and being angry and holding a grudge against his spoiled, favored little brother. He cares for him. He protects him. Notice throughout the speech that he refers to him 
as the boy, the child, almost as if he saw him now as his own son. Rather than resenting his favorite status, he feels the same way toward him as his own father does. And throughout the speech, he refers to his father so many times. So rather than being angry at his father and harboring bitterness toward him and being willing to deceive him like he was before with Joseph, now he sympathizes with him. He's concerned for the welfare and the health of his father, and he even loves Benjamin in the same way that his father loves him. We saw before that Joseph was a faithless man. He was a traitor, willing to sell his brother for 20 silver coins. But now, when he's made this commitment to to Jacob, to his father, he said, I will be the guarantee, I will be the pledge of his safety, and if anything happens to him, you will require it from me. He does not break that promise. He holds to his word, no matter the cost. And so rather than seek profit for himself, because remember that it was his idea. He wasn't just willing to sell his brother. It was his idea to sell Joseph. But now rather than selling his brother, he sells himself for his brother. So the transformation in Judah could not be more complete. It could not be more radical. This is the work of God in his life. This is the transformation that the gospel does when we truly understand the depth of our sin and the agony that Christ went through on our behalf. And when the Spirit truly dwells in us, this is the kind of change that comes about from that. Where our hearts become like Judah's, like Joseph's, and ultimately like Christ's. This is the heart of God. And Joseph, then, in this story, he's no longer the only character throughout the story walking in the way of the cross. He's no longer the only character here who is pointing us forward to Christ, who is no longer a type and shadow of him. Judah also embraces the way of the cross. Judah now becomes a type and shadow of Christ by being willing to offer himself for his brother. Joseph, as we saw, he's willing to sacrifice himself for his entire family, for the good of a nation. Similarly, Jesus offers himself and died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. But Judah's willing to offer himself for just one man. And in that same way, Jesus gave himself up Not just for the world, not just for all those other people out there. But he gave himself for you. He gave himself for me. Jesus, at the same time, gives himself for both all of us and each one of us. So in conclusion, then, those just two questions, really, 
The first question is, do you know that? Do you know that that's what Jesus did for you? That just like Benjamin, you and I were trapped, caught without any hope of escape. But Jesus gave himself for you. And if you do know that, then my second question is, how is God testing you to see if your nature has changed? If your heart is being conformed to his? Are you still the person you once were before you met Christ? Or like Judah, has God done his gracious work in restoring you, in redeeming you, and in changing your heart so that you're willing to lay yourself on the line for others, to sacrifice your cares, your needs, your desires, so that others may flourish? Has God changed your heart? What is the the test revealing to you this morning. If you have not truly been transformed, if the test is showing that your heart is still the same, that it has not changed, then this is your moment to come. To come and ask Jesus to forgive you. To ask Jesus to change you. To confess your sin ask his forgiveness, and ask that his Holy Spirit would not let you remain the same. Because if he can change Judah, then he can change all of us. Let's pray.